This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we continue our focus on global learning metrics during the lead-up to the inaugural CIES Symposium, which will take place in Scottsdale, Arizona from November 10th to the 11th. The past shows in this mini-series have focused broadly on global learning metrics. We've looked at the history and value of learning metrics from the perspective of national governments. We've examined the power of tests like PISA, and we've heard critiques of policy borrowing and outcome-based approaches to education that rely on learning metrics and their subsequent rankings. But we haven't yet looked at some of the questions on the tests that form the proxies for global learning metrics. My guest today is Dr. Ines Dussel, researcher and professor at the Department of Educational Research, Center for Advanced Studies and Research in Mexico. She argues that global learning metrics are not culturally sensitive and uses examples from her work on digital literacy to show why. Ines critiques PISA for taking a narrow focus of learning as only related to cognitive skills, the ability for students to read or write or problem solve. By contrast, she takes a broad view of learning, which encompasses not only cognitive skills, but also a collection of interpersonal and social skills. Of course, these latter skill sets are nearly impossible to measure in one school, let alone worldwide, using universal metrics. And this is the crux of the issue. How can global learning metrics measure any skill set across so many different contexts and cultures worldwide? Ines Dusso, welcome to Fresh Ed. Hi, hello. Thank you for inviting me. You've done some research on digital literacies in Argentina, where where one computer per student program was implemented universally throughout that country. Are there global learning metrics that try to measure digital learning or digital literacy in education? Um, Yes, there are, although they were not used in Argentina or in some other countries that have implemented the One Computer Per Student program. Um, There have been correlations between what you would say, traditional uh, learning metrics about reading, mathematics, and the introduction of computers. So one could say that there was an assumption that if you have more computers in the classroom, then children will uh, improve their learnings. And that was not uh, their learning. That was not what happened. Um, For example, in Uruguay, there were no significant improvements in, in standardized tests because of introduction of computers or related to introduction of computers. Um, however, there are global learning there are global learning studies about digital competencies or digital uh, literacies. Uh, for example, one that was carried by uh, the OECD in 2000 it was published in 2015 and based on um, PISA results from 2012. Uh, This, I think, is the, to my knowledge, is the most serious study that has been done on the um, improvement of uh, um, 
digital literacies because of the access to computers and the use of computers in schools. The results of this um, report, the findings of this report, have been controversial because what they say is that um, there is no direct relationship between uh, higher availability of computers in school and the improvement of digital literacies. And so, for example, a country like Singapore, that, ha that where children do not use computers much, uh, they don't use computers so much in schools, however, they rank first. Um, and so these uh, digital um, literacies or digital literacy skills are, do not seem related to what is learning, learned in school, but uh, to what children do outside or inside schools, but to cultures, to how cultures relate to uh, computers, to also the widespread availability of computers. And for example, in many um, East Asian countries, there is wide access to computers and uh, children and teenagers use them extensively. So apparently it, it is this use at home in schools that makes them more fluent uh, for, I don't know, doing better uh, searches in the internet and being more critical about the information they read. Why do you think PISA is trying to develop these metrics on digital literacies? Digital literacies um, seem to be a significant part of what is called the 21st century skills. Uh, we, it's, it's very obvious to say that we now live in a digital culture. Digital media is everywhere. We are, our lives, one could say, are digitally mediated in many, many aspects uh, of, I don't know, banking, consumption, health, um, of course, entertainment and, and culture. And so these, are, uh, th these skills seem to be um, very crucial for our, um, for our well-being and also for our um, social and economic participation in, in, in contemporary society. So I think everybody is concerned about um, what is going on with these skills, how do children and uh, young people learn these skills. Is school any relevant for this learning? Um, can we do better? What are they learning on their own? So I think we have, in this area of digital literacies, we have many, many questions. And PISA is trying to grasp some things, I would say, not all, but at least some things that are related to academic skills or things we could relate to academic uh, performance. So can you give an example of, of how PISA would would test sort of these digital literacy skills for children or um, I have yeah there is there are some examples for for ex one one could be uh, they they ask the students I mean these are tests that are taken uh, online and so they can see for example how well they do in order to obtain practical information from the internet how many uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to, to look for the information more precisely, but for example, how do they browse? Uh, how, how are they navigation skills? So do they uh, look around? Do they go more directly to what they want? If they are given a task, 
how many clicks, <laughs> how much time does it take it to get where they should get, but also um, the quality of navigation steps is also important. So there are, I would say, several measurements. However, and I, and I think, of course, the, the people who, who do these tests are, I would say, they are uh, very knowledgeable and they've tried them uh, extensively. However, many of these things could be, I would say, interpreted differently because, um, I don't know, you, you browse, uh, are you efficient, uh, in what terms, is it time-related, is it quantifiable? Do we really know what uh, kids understood because of this browsing activity, by how many clicks they, they made? So I think we get, as probably with, with other tests, we get proxies of what they are, to what they are learning, but I am not sure that we really know what they are learning through this kind of quantifiable measurements and um, I would say very general no? in terms, in order to have massive data, you also tend to look at very general things and these things say little. That's, that would be my point about how children learn. Um, I would relate this to the, to the research I've done in schools because I think that if you look in depth at some schools and if you look in depth at some children, what are they doing, how are they doing, then you understand more things. For example, uh, also a colleague of mine in, in Mexico, she has done uh, very interesting research on how children um, value the, the, sorry, how children, uh, it's, not, um, the, it's not confiabilidad, I'm trying. The, uh, this colleague of mine has done research on in which sites do children trust, how do they search online. And she found that um, they generally they don't uh, do many, they don't take many steps, they uh, get tired very quickly, they, their efficiency is related to going through well-known places, either Wikipedia, but if Wikipedia is not um, considered as valuable or as uh, trustable by their teachers, then Wikipedia is forbidden, okay, then no, but then how should I orient myself? And for example, um, see, this colleague of mine posed them a problem, uh, so now you have two internet, two websites that have um, contradictory information about how the Egyptians mummified their, uh, the deceased, uh, one side says that they had to take away their heart and the other one says that they didn't. And so who do you trust or which one do you trust and what do you do with that? And so she found that children had very um, um, loose ideas about which website to trust. For example, a blog is no good because I can produce a blog, so that's no good at all. Then .com is better because .com then is a, a fixed page. So if it cannot be intervened, then that's okay. And they didn't know, for example, the academic sites. I mean, they knew in Mexico, UNAM, no, the National University, oh, this might be good. But this knowledge did not come from the internet. This knowledge came from their families, from their teachers. So what my colleague says is that we have to do much better. I mean, and we don't get to know that by how many clicks they performed. It is, um, we have to look uh, qualitatively, how, what are, who they trust, uh, 
which are the steps they are doing and why, what are they looking for. And I think the most important finding of her research was that children said, you know, I really don't care. If you hadn't asked me, I really don't care which website is right, because what difference does it make? And it, it was not only related to, to the mom, Egyptian mummies. One could say, yeah, who cares? I think the, the, the value of truth, and, and this is a, a philosophical, I would say, question, but also a political and ethical question, is in decline. And so you have to be fast. It doesn't matter whether you get it right. It doesn't matter whether you are going in the right direction. And my point would be that there, is some, um, sim- there are some similarities between this idea of going fast and being efficient and some of the learning metrics that are not really concerned about what is going on and the depth of the challenges we face and the ethical questions we have about what are we learning. It, it's interesting to, to hear that PISA uses a proxy measure of digital literacy, of, of the speed of a search online by, by students and, and how many clicks they do. Um, but like you said, that it's, it's much more complex than that. And, and PISA, it, it might be a, there might be using a, a, the wrong proxy measure um, for one of these 21st century skills. Um, but do you think it's simply a, a matter of like, could PISA come up with a better proxy measure, a better test item to use that could get us closer to these, you know, understanding digital literacy? I think that at a, at a massive scale, it is difficult to get through these other indicators that are uh, much more complex. I also think there should be other conversations of, this, of the global learning task force that they're producing. Um, people who understand that learning is not only to uh, cannot be captured uh, by metrics. That I, I would say that all metrics are proxies, and I would say probably all measurements are proxies, not only the metrics. No, because I don't know. I have um, several colleagues who are very good psychologists. Uh, I can think of Emilia Ferreiro, for example, who trained with Jean Piaget and, and many others newer generations say similar things, that um, really we are not sure about how children learn and what they learn. And maybe some of the things you uh, see their effects in decades from now or years from now or months from now, and performance in tests uh, can be tricky because, I don't know, one day it has to do with many other things. I mean, the language the test is taken... Um, the relationship you have with evaluation, with the school system, if you feel, if you are shy and if you feel uh, marginalized by the school system, it's very likely that you will not perform to your, to your best uh, um, uh, potential. So I would say there are many things there that, for me, make the test proxies. Do we have to have tests? I would say yes, we have to have tests, but we have to be very careful about how we use that information, uh, what effects they have, and, and also uh, make very clear arguments about the limitations of the information we collect with these tests. So, uh, like having or assuming that these sort of skills are universal? I would say these skills are never universal. Um, I would say they are cultural, and cultural, culture is not universal. Um, 
again, if one, if one thinks of reading, and, and, and I have some examples from our, my own research and from re comparative research done by close colleagues in France, in Argentina, in Mexico. In France, for example, you have uh, reading and writing is very central to the educational system. Um, young people, in, by the, 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 the end of their secondary school, they are able to read uh, novels or literature that is being uh, submitted for national prizes. And the relationship of the educational system towards consider high culture or literature is very close. In Argentina, that relationship is very distant, I would say. And perhaps Argentinian children are much better at arguing orally. They have very good oral skills. And these are uh, nurtured, I would say. These are uh, learned through many, many years of schooling in which children have to participate in group activities. They have to even contradict their teacher. And, and that's very well regarded. I mean, if the, if the student says, oh, no, you are wrong, and, and I have this other opinion. Whereas in Mexico, I would say these oral skills are not that developed. And, and I would say these oral skills are important as a 21st century skill, if you want to call them like that. Because we, there are many things that today go through our presentation, through our ability to persuade and communicate. So oral skills should not be devalued. They are, they are not second to other skills. They are, they are important. And how do we measure them? So again, no, are these universal skills or are they related to cultures that value some kind of um, competence, competency skills or, um, I don't know, language dispositions? Or uh, do we think that they are, I don't know, universally, universally um, possessed or owned? Um, I don't agree with the idea that, that um, skills are universal. And I would say we have to uh, take a cultural approach to skills, understand the skills in cultures, in the current debates that cultures have. I remember uh, one of Pisa, Pisa's questions about ecology and, um, and pollution. Uh, and I was thinking, well, this question would be much easier to, to first understand and then to solve in an European country than in a Latin American country where the ecological discourse is not a public issue or not as much, I mean, it was not 10 years ago. So are we judging or are we measuring what children um, know innately or are we measuring what societies value and how they think about problems and how they think about how to solve problems? I think, I mean, this has been widely discussed, the cultural biases of tests, but I think we have to make the case again because uh, there are still people who think they are, it is possible to get um, by, to get, to, to get rid of this cultural bias. And I would say, no, it is not possible, then let's work with that and make our claims more humbly, like make more humble claims about what we find. Do you, do you remember the example of this uh, ecology and pollution question? Uh, I don't exactly. It was a question about the, the Greek, the Athens Parthenon, Parthenon, Parthenon. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, about the, the pollution that was um, eroding the statues, and they had to make a calculus. Uh, but I was thinking, well, for many countries, this is not a relevant question. 
no? um, and 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 I don't mean you can solve it. Yes, you can solve it uh, at any rate, but no, it's not the same. If this is something you hear all the time on the news and you're used to this kind of argument and you are bringing in some other kind of knowledge, for example, I don't know, does the air pollute? Uh, do carbon emissions pollute? I mean, these are things some people hear on the media all the time and on the newspapers and, and on their families and some other people don't. So we have to take that into account. So with PISA privileging one particular perspective over others, would you see it as a form of like neo-colonialism? Like p pushing one idea globally through these tests like PISA? I think there is a risk of neo-colonialism, yes. Uh, on the one hand, because there is an assumption of a problem-solving individual that is isolated and acts upon, I don't know, knowledge and information and, and choice. And I think that for many other um, children, this is not the, their normal life. Um, I would say, for example, in, in Latin America, but also in India, in Africa, many children who live in shanty towns, in, in marginalized populations, one thing that is very important is that they, they learn to go by, they learn to, for example, keep silent and feign ignorance because they know some things uh, shouldn't be told because they are dangerous, they are risk, they are, might be illegal. This is a skill, a very important skill. Not necessarily one that I like, but um, how does it come into their school knowledge? I'm sure it, it is there too. I'm sure it is there in relation to how they, they feel, uh, for example, with the invitation to speak up, to participate, to express themselves if they know in their daily life that they shouldn't, that it's better for them, it's safer for them not to express themselves. So what are we measuring when we take them the same, the same test than we take to people, to children who are raised in societies where this is the norm, no? speak up, express yourself, be creative, no? be autonomous. And I think there are lots of cultural biases that we have to take into account. So yes, there is a risk of neocolonialism when we don't understand how this norm that we think is universal is not universal, how it is being uh, played in different contexts. And I think the, the worst neocolonialism comes with the, with the claims, with the truth claims of, of PISA and many other tests that say this is what it is, these are the best school systems, these are the worst school, school systems, and they don't consider how they are performing in their own societies and, and to their own uh, goals and, and problems. Do, do you think it would be possible to construct global learning metrics in a way that is culturally sensitive? It, you know, it seems as if there are, on the one hand, global learning metrics need to be uniform globally to do these sort of comparisons. But on the, at the same time, listening to all of the different examples you've given, it's clear that a universal test question isn't going to actually work in different contexts around the world. So it poses a, a serious problem to global learning metrics, the, the, the very essence of them being universal. So do you think it's possible for global learning metrics to be culturally sensitive? I hope it, it would be possible. I'm not sure it, it might be possible. 
one thing I would say is that we have to have more diverse agencies and um, it's not only a matter of representation but people who work there and are aware of all the these issues that we are discussing um, I would also say so you mean I'm sorry so you mean like inside the OECD we need people making these test questions that come from more countries than just where they currently come from. Is that that's what you're saying? That's partly what I say, but I would say if people come from, for example, Latin America and share this kind, the same kind of understanding there, then that is not any good, I would say, because it's not a matter of the country of origin, but it's can you really bring in different perspectives and discussions? Can you really bring in people who challenge some of these assumptions and who have done work on different kind of methodologies. Um, and related to what we were saying about uh, the comparison, I would say, what if you took... I think the problem is that this would be much more um, expensive. But uh, what if the reading test uh, took into account cultural differences? I don't think that's impossible. Of course, that would make the comparison uh, probably looser, more flexible, but yes, we, I, can, I can think that we can still make some claims about how children read in some countries and how children read in some others. They are not reading exactly the same question, they are, for example, or you could make, I don't know, subsets of countries with similar problems, I don't know, in terms of violence or human rights or even ecological concerns, but that are not uh, framed in the same um, language and, and way in which it is framed in, in, in the north, no? in northern countries. Uh, so, I don't know, I'll give it a try at least. I think we have to give it a try. So, you, you say that you want to see a shift from learning to schooling. What, what do you mean by that shift or with that difference? I think education cannot be reduced to learning. Also because learning is very difficult to measure, really. I do believe that. Uh, so many of the um, uh, of the metrics I've seen re are really not measuring learning. They are measuring what is being offered to children, um, the kind of access they have, uh, the time of exposure they have, uh, the preparation of the teachers, but not necessarily what they are learning. And I think that's because learning, even if you look at note the children's notebooks, or if you make interviews with them individually, then it is very difficult to see what they have learned. And as I said before, um, maybe you, you, you know or, and they know what they learned in 10 years from now and not now. So um, I think that's very complex. But also education is not only about learning and not only about learning cognitive skills. There are many things we learn in schools that are important and not necessarily taught by the teacher, but we learn to live with others, we learn, we learn to listen, or I hope we, we learn to listen to others, we, we learn to, um, to be with ourselves, to be outside our homes, we learn that there are other people in society that think differently, uh, we learn that we have to abide by certain rules, and these rules uh, might be flexible, but not too much, because uh, that's what society is too. And I think these other kind of learnings are very important. School is a, is a public space. School has to do, and if you want, you can call it socialization. 
you can call it education in a broader sense. Um, uh, they provide us with other references, with other um, languages, if, uh, tastes, and this is also a very important social function. Um, I would say today, in a in a world that is um, where the where the risk of isolation is isolationism is is bigger, where there are many fundamentalisms. Um, threatening the possibility of a civilized or peaceful world, uh, then learning to live together is, is a very important task for schools. And can we measure that? How do we measure that? Uh, um, I think we have to be careful about what we um, put in the test and also the focus of this. We make this the focus of schools, uh, while schools have many other functions that are very, very important. So, so it's like the global learning metrics like PISA have taken a, a very narrow focus of what learning is, being just cognitive skills that can supposedly be measured. But you're saying that schools actually have such a broad function for children in society, far beyond just cognitive skills. Exactly. I think it's, uh, it's very important that we keep uh, these broader functions uh, alive as a, and as a focus of, of schools. And I think there are many studies, I don't know, in the US, one which caused much uproar was Diane Ravitch's uh, 2010 book on, on, on the decline of American schools and of the great American public school and how all this uh, test um, madness has made things really bad for teachers and children to work in schools, to be together, to to decide for themselves what are their goals, what do they want to do, and, and again, learn some basic things about uh, social life. Uh, and I think you can say the same thing maybe in Chile, sometimes in Mexico, where there has been a very strong pressure on teachers to uh, improve the performance in tests. And then they forget about other things. So no, if it's not being, I mean, you, you just train to the test and you forget that you are there to really educate a human being and to really contribute to a better life and a good society for all. Well, Ines Dussel, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. Thank you for this conversation. Ines Dussel is a researcher and professor at the Department of Educational Research, Center for Advanced Studies and Research in Mexico. She will present some of the ideas discussed today at the CIS Symposium in November. Check out freshedpodcast.com for more details about the event. Fresh Ed is brought to you by the Globalization and Education Special Interest Group of the Comparative and International Education Society. Fresh Ed contributors include Rolf Straubhar, Eric Lehman, D. Brent Edwards Jr., Chrissy Monahan, and Aaron Baxter. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not CIES or the Globalization and Education SIG, which take no institutional positions. Please be sure to visit us at freshedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Will Brem, and I'll see you next week.